0: Hello, and welcome to a slightly different episode of TWA Team's One Street. I'm your host, Alan Temple, and this week we are bringing you an extended interview with Dundee United manager Jim Goodwin. The chat was recorded at a recent live event exclusively for our subscribers, and around 200 United fans packed into DC Thompson HQ as Jim and I discussed his journey from growing up in Ireland to occupying the Tannadice hot seat. Enjoy the episode. Warm welcome to Jim Goodwin. Um, thanks very much for joining us on a, a drich December day. Um, how, how goes? No, oh, Thank you, Alan.
1: Um, yeah, obviously, thanks to everybody who's uh, made the effort to be here tonight. Obviously, weather is not ideal, but really appreciate uh, you all making the effort to be here and looking forward to hearing some of your questions later on.
0: Yeah, we're going to take a wee meander through your career, obviously, since we've got a little bit of time for you here, but it would be uh, uh, remiss of us not to kind of look ahead to the what is the biggest game of the season so far for Dundee United this week. How are things ahead of the Wraith the Rovers game?
1: Yeah, obviously, massive game on, on Saturday. Um, goes without saying, the biggest game of the season. Um, two very good teams, you know, I'm not being at all surprised by the, the run of form that Wraith Rovers have been on. I think Ian Murray has done a terrific job, recruited some really good experienced players, and um, you know they're right on our coattails at the moment. Obviously they've got a game tomorrow night, which means they could, um, you know, even close the gap even further. But um, you know we're looking forward to Saturday. Our, our guys are in a really good place at the moment. Obviously still unbeaten in the league, and we want to make sure that we maintain
0: that after Saturday. How do you assess the campaign so far, particularly in the context of the massive rebuild that you had to do over the close season? Well, yeah, I mean, we did have a a huge job
1: on our hands in the summer, given the turnover of players. Um, Obviously, getting relegated wasn't ideal for anybody, and with that then comes its own challenges uh, financially as well. We have to try and balance the books, um, and we have to try and um, recruit players who are of a good quality, Uh, not only for the championship and to help us go and win the the championship, but also ones that we believe can make that step up into the Premier League as well. Um, So, yeah, I think there's been a hell of a lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes. Obviously, supporters uh, only get to see really what happens on a match day, and and that is ultimately where the team is going to be judged. But, um, you know, Luigi Capuano, our chief executive, all the... The board members and all the, the guys behind the scenes have worked incredibly hard to um, you know, put us in the place that we are at this moment in time. Um, we're on a good run of form, as I said, um, but still a hell of a long way to go.
0: You, speaking to you, last season, I remember you describing the, the squad that was there last term as maybe a little bit too nice. How big an aspect of that recruitment process was about strengthening the character within the group this summer?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in recruitment, um, you know, you're trying to get the balance right between obviously good experienced players, some good young energetic players. Um, Of course, you're looking at the technical ability of those players that you're bringing in, but a big one for me, um, and I think it's similar in any industry, is what the character of the individual is like, and are they going to fit into the culture? Of what we're trying to, you know, build at the club, and um, you know, I'm delighted so far with all of the new players that we've brought in. Uh, a lot of them with good championship experience, um, and yeah, I mean, it's so far so good. But you know, the character is something that is is vital for me, and I think we've shown on a number of occasions already this season. You know, coming from behind in games to to get valuable points, and that's uh,
0: been testament to the group. It's been a hell of a 2023 for Dundee United and yourself personally. If I can take you back to when you took the reins at United, you were coming from the uh, from being dismissed by Aberdeen. How hard did you have to think about taking up another role at such a big club so quickly?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, obviously things didn't uh, go according to plan at Aberdeen. And, um, you know, it's my first time in my managerial career where I've... Uh, suffered that side of the game of being relieved of my duties. And of course, it's a, a knock to your confidence and to everything else. But um, I was kind of resigned to the fact that I was probably going to have to wait until the summer and see what other opportunities were to, to come up. There was one other Premier League job that did um, become available uh, a couple of weeks before the Dundee United one did, and um, I declined the opportunity to speak to them. Uh, for a number of different reasons, but um, when I got the phone call from Luigi uh, to discuss, you know, the the chances of coming in to take over the reins at Dundee United on a short-term basis, uh, I felt it was just too good an opportunity to turn down. You know, I've been very, very lucky in my managerial career up to now in terms of the opportunities that I've been given and all the different clubs um, that I've managed and i just felt you know a club like dundee united with the history uh, the infrastructure the fan base it was just too big a job for me to to look over and i um, you know delighted that i was able to you know put a good impression across to the to the, the board members during that short period at the tail end of last season that they chose to give me it on a full-time basis on a longer term
0: presumably your family would have been expecting also a bit of time with their their dad and uh, husband respectively and uh, until the the summer I mean was there any part of them that were thinking oh, really Jim like this soon after everything we've gone through
1: yeah absolutely I mean my, my family are based in in Glasgow and I was um, you know spending time <laughs> spending time up in uh, in Aberdeen you know three or four nights of a week and then obviously having to drive back down the road to see them. They were coming up to see me as well a number of uh, times um, for, for home games and what have you. But um, that wasn't ideal. We are a very close, tight-knit family. The kids are used to me being around, and um, you know that was something different that we had to adapt and get used to. So when um, things ended at Aberdeen, I think you know my wife was certainly pleased to have me around to be able to help out with all the usual family chores. When you've got a young family doing school runs and. Uh, Been there to maybe do the tidying up every now and again and make the dinners and and what have you. Um, And we had planned on going away um, on a little kind of mini holiday, if you like, um, prior to the Dundee United thing coming along. So there was uh, that aspect of it from their point of view that they were looking forward to. I was supposed to be going to Cheltenham as well um, the week after uh, I took the job at United. Something that I've always had in my bucket list of things to go and do that tends to be during the football season, so I haven't been able to do it. So I had to give up on those tickets as well. But um, yeah, look, I mean, it's a stressful time, I think, for partners and wives of um, of, of guys like myself involved in this job, but, uh, you know, she knows, she's been involved with me now for the last 22 years or whatever it's been that we've been together. She knows the ups and downs of football. And um, I think, you know, another couple of weeks of being in the house, she'd probably have been desperate for me to get out and get back to work anyway. So it's worked out well for everybody, I think.
0: Are you quite good at not taking the trials and tribulations of football home? Or are you, uh, after a defeat or after a setback, are you quite hard to live with? Uh,
1: no, I, I'm, I'm generally, you know, quite uh, relaxed about the, the situation. As I said, the Aberdeen thing was extremely disappointing. And, um, you know, sitting third on the table prior to the World Cup break, I think the World Cup break caught everybody a little bit by surprise. Um, we got a number of things wrong, I think, during that period, which, again, is all part of the learning curve, I suppose. But um, no, I mean, I I take defeat really bad. I think, like most people in sport, you probably don't enjoy the winning as much as you really hate the losing. And um, there certainly has been times where, yeah, I mean, you you go home and you're not in the best of moods, but then my wee boy, who's 10, is very good at picking me back up and putting a smile back on my face. So. Yeah, I tend not to try and bring it home uh, too often. Your young young boy's quite a good goalkeeper, I hear. Uh, Yeah, he is. He enjoys it. He loves football. Just football mad. And um, he's ended up in the goal somehow. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, he he just... He loves sport in general. Loves soccer. um, You know, knows more about the history of Dundee United probably than I do because that's what he does. He's never off Wikipedia. He likes to study all the different clubs that I've been at. And, um,
0: yeah, it's it's nice to have... uh, my wee boy interested in the game. I mean, you d- discussed that kind of latter spell, leaving Aberdeen and then coming into Dundee United. Are you are you able to kind of separate yourself from social media, from headlines? Are you plugged into any of that? Because for about a week or ten days or so, you were kind of the uh, the main character, if you like, of, of Scottish football, headlines and, and, and social media, Twitter, things like that.
1: Well, it's not something that I've ever been interested in, to be honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm quite a a private person away from uh, from football. I've uh, obviously got to do my media duties with you guys during the week, but other than that, I, I don't. You know, I don't have Facebook. I don't have uh, Twitter or any other social media platform that I'm signed up to. Um, my wife is all over it. I have to say, so she's very good at telling me what people are saying about me and sometimes agreeing with it. Um, but no, I, I tend not to take. I, I don't need. Um, You know, I don't need to read in the papers or read online what people are saying. I'm I'm very critical of myself and of my own performance and you know, I I tend to take accountability on where I get, you know, things wrong and and I don't need people to tell me when we've done well either. I think I've been in dressing rooms in the past where players love to, to go on these social platforms and see what people are saying, nice things about them, but then can't often handle the other side of it. So I mean, so it's just something I've always rather just stay away from and um, you know, leave that up to the younger
0: ones. It's funny you should mention that. I was just going to ask if you actually had any advice for younger players under your charge now, because it strikes me as quite a difficult time to be a young player in terms of that social media scrutiny, something that obviously you wouldn't have had when you were a young player coming through yourself. Um,
1: yeah, I mean it is a difficult one. I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, where clubs tried to control it a bit more and you know put rules and regulations in place. But now it's, it's uh, you know it's it's near on impossible to tell these young players that they're not allowed to do these things or they're not allowed to be on social media. I think it's just a way of life now. Um, don't get me wrong, I think it has its benefits. I think it's you know, great for people that are wanting to catch up on daily news and get uh, those kind of things um, quickly and in the moment. But I do think um, it can affect younger players in particular that maybe don't have the, the strength and character that we're talking about that, you know, can't handle the criticism and it doesn't matter, you know, whatever club you're playing for, um that criticism is going to come because everybody's entitled to an opinion and i think um you know young lads do definitely need to be careful not just not just sports people i think in general you know i've got two daughters who are 15 and 16 and as i said i don't really understand it a great deal but my wife is um you know constantly on at them about what they can be saying and not saying and what uh you know things they should be uploading and um and i just think you need to be really careful i think you know some people can be very cruel and very nasty and uh,
0: some people can't handle that all too well. We're discussing a very kind of modern aspect of management, but let me take you you back a little bit to sort of your early days of of moving into that. When did the the coaching bug uh, kind of kick in? Was it when you were a player or did you only start to think about that sort of stuff laterally? Um, No, I I started doing my coaching badges when
1: I was 20 years old um, down at Stockport. I'd moved from Celtic at 20 down to England and um, right from that first summer we had a, a visit from the English PFA talking about careers after football obviously it's a short career and um, it wasn't really something that I had taught a great deal about um, when I did come across to, to, to Celtic actually at 15 would you believe one of the things I went and done was uh, work experience in sports journalism like yourself and uh, went into the evening times in Glasgow and Spent a month in there, but yeah, after four weeks, I realized that probably wasn't going to be for me, so I'm not sure how you do that, but um so no, I mean, being involved in football it's it's the greatest job in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I know it's a little bit cliche and a little bit romantic, but you know, getting paid to do something that you really love and have grown up as uh you know as, as long as I could walk with a ball at my feet, uh, dreaming about playing football professionally, and then for getting the opportunity to do that. Then at 20, the guy from the PFA just planted a seed. Um, and I thought, well, I might as well start now in terms of the coaching badges. So just went through the process there, done you know, the UEFA C at the time, then went and done the B. And then I finished off my A license and pro license with the SFA when I came back up to Scotland. So uh, it was always something I wanted to get into. I did want to play a bit longer. I had a a target in my head about trying to play till I was 40 years old. And um, fitness-wise, I was always, you know, in relatively good shape, Um, you know, tended to look after myself. Um, So believed that I could play until that age. And there was, you know, good examples of other older professionals out there who had looked after themselves and played for uh, a long time, well into their 30s. So that was my intention initially. But then the opportunity to take on the managerial role at Allowa, came around that bit sooner than I had uh, thought it would. And um, again, similar to this one, just felt it was the right time at the right place.
0: Having done the theory and having done the assessments and all your badges and things, how different was it when it was a case of sink or swim? You're the man now.
1: Yeah, I think the the coaching licences that the SFA and all the other FAs all over um, Europe put on, I think, are really really good and there's a lot of detail that goes into them and they do get harder as you go along as you would imagine in terms of exams at school and then when you go to university everything gets that little bit uh, tougher but um, I don't think anything really prepares you for that first introduction to the squad you know 25 players to try and keep happy in the dressing room Um, at the time at Alouette I was still a player and I had a Envisaged trying to stay on as a player-manager, uh, playing League One at the time. I was quite enjoying still playing, and um, I soon realised after about three games that it was too difficult to do both. I was uh, I was playing a game and probably making more mistakes than anybody in the team, giving the ball away more than anybody else, and then having to commit at half time and try and tell the team where they're going wrong. And there's, 10 hands pointing back at me, going, (laughs) maybe you're the problem. So um, I I did realize pretty quickly that it was going to be too difficult to try and balance both. And it was, you know, I have a, a much better picture of the whole game being on the sidelines and being able to make those tactical decisions that need to be made and, uh, reluctantly, had to hang up the boots at that point.
0: I mean, I didn't want to kind of rub it in, but since you're sort of alluding to it there, I mean, there was a game, a five-two defeat at home to Albion Rovers, where you appear to have hooked yourself at half time. Was that the Was that about the point where you thought maybe this isn't for me? I think that was my last game. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. We 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 were awful on the day, and um, I was making more mistakes than anybody, and it was uh, yeah, it was becoming a little bit. Um, embarrassing at the time I have to say because my head was trying to focus on the team and trying to see where the weaknesses are in the opposition but at the same time trying to make sure that I'm doing my job and I wasn't doing my job properly as a player so I just had to step back from
0: it. How challenging was that first role, just in terms of not only initially being a player manager but also I mean you were basically doing a day job away from Alloa weren't you ultimately? I mean, tell us a wee bit about the, the kind of jobs you've done away from the game and trying to balance that with your managerial duties. Yeah, well, when I left uh, St. Mirren, uh,
1: I was, I think it was 33 or 34 at the time. Um, I had wanted to stay full-time somewhere. And um, as you do, you, you think the phone's going to ring and there'll be loads of offers. And then as the weeks go on, you realise that the phone's not ringing and there's not that many offers at all. And then I did have a couple of full-time offers in the championship. Um, but you know, financially, probably weren't going to work for me. Um, And then Jack Ross picked up the phone at Allowa and asked me if I'd be interested in coming there. Um, It was a little bit strategic on my part in terms of, you know, I I knew a lot about Jack at the time. He was an ex-teammate of mine. I knew he had done, uh, had relative success working with Ian Murray at Dumbarton, being Ian's assistant. Um, And Allowa, you know, were in a good place. So I felt that Jack would have success at Alloa, and me having had the badges required that maybe the opportunity would present itself to me. It did come a lot sooner. As I said, I'd signed for Alloway in the June and Jack had moved on in September and then I obviously ended up taking the job on. But my intention was to play for Le- Aloway in League One for that season, hopefully try and get us promoted and then Jack get the opportunity to move on. But um, but yeah, so I was I was working at um Alloa as a part-time player initially um, and then I ended up getting a job with Cadbury's uh, selling chocolates in and out of shops in, in Glasgow. Uh, I had about, I think I had about 40 odd shops on my call list so that was interesting. Um, I then thought that wasn't for me long term. I'd always kind of fancied starting up my own business and doing something a little bit different. Um, so I got a contract with um, a parcel company over at Eurocentral in Glasgow. Uh, knew a guy there that done the logistics, he managed to get me in on a trial period initially for about three or four months. Uh, was doing the job well and they offered me a 12 month contract. So that was the start of it for me and then the intention was to uh, build that up and you know, try and get two or three vans on the road and hopefully have that running. Alongside the football, and it wouldn't have been too much of a distraction at the time. Um, yeah. But then things went well at Allowa. Uh I had to get a driver for the van route, and then the St. merrin job came up, and I didn't want any distractions. You know, I really didn't. Um, I thought I'd be able to keep the the Curian thing going, um, but it just became too much, and I didn't want to be, you know, not giving my all to the St. merrin job because it was a job I was, you know delighted to have been given uh, the chance to do. Obviously had a great time there as a player for five and a half years, and um, I just wanted to fully commit to that. So, yeah, I've, I've seen it all and I've, um, you know, I come from a working class background anyway. Um, you know, the, the challenge of going, you know, having been a professional footballer for the best part of 20 years, as far as I'm concerned, never really worked a day in my life when I consider what my father was doing and my three brothers were doing to, to make a living, um, you know, what I was getting paid to play football, you know, it was, it was perfect. Um, but I never shied away from the work aspect of it. You know, at the end of the day, I have a wife and three kids. Most people think you've had a career in football for that length of time, you must be a multimillionaire. But believe me, um, Scunthorpe and Stockport and all those teams don't pay life-changing money. So there does come a point later on where you have to go and face up to the fact that you're gonna have to go and. Earn enough money to pay the bills, so that was the route I went down.
0: Would yeah, I be right in thinking that you worked with your assistant Lee Sharp at Cadbury's? Yes, Sharpie got me into. Uh, well,
1: Mondelēz is the the company that owns Cadbury's, and then they've got lots of different um, companies within that umbrella of Mondelēz. But uh, Lee was part of Jack Ross's coaching staff at Alloa. I knew Sharpie, um, you know, prior to going in at Alloa, he played at Clyde with my brother-in-law. Um, and obviously had a you know, relatively good playing career himself. Um, so we just developed a really good relationship working at Aloua, you know, I kept him on as assistant manager, uh, or part of the coaching team, and um, I was looking for a job at the time, and he said, well, there might be something going at Mondelez, he managed to get me in there. And yeah,
0: we've been together ever since. My sports editor who just did that little fire and safety announcement for everyone wants me to ask what your favorite chocolate bar is. My favourite chocolate bar is a Twirl. A Twirl. The best-selling in... Oh, there you go. He's using his expertise. Very
1: underrated bar of chocolate.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, you'll not remember anything from this night, but you'll remember what Jim Goodwin's favourite chocolate bar was. There we go. And, um, yeah, so, as you allude to there, back to St Mirren and fascinating to know the, the dynamic as you walk back into St Mirren because you're a, you were a legendary figure as a player, captained them to a major trophy. I'm sure there were still a lot of people that were there that you would have known from your time as a player. How do you go in there and sort of in a different role and assert your authority in a, in a different way.
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said, I've, I've been really, really fortunate in the, the opportunities that have been came up and the decisions that I've made in my playing career. And, and um, you know, I've had numerous options to do different things and go different clubs, but always seem to get lucky with choosing the right options. And that's where I think, you know, the the Alawa decision over staying full-time in the championship to drop down to League One um, it all just kind of fell into place. Jack went to St Mirren. Jack done really well at St Mirren. You know, I had done okay at Alawa. We'd obviously got promoted into the championship and then managed to stay in the championship um, as being the only part-time team in the league, similar to what our broth have done in the last few seasons. And, um, and then Jack gets the big move to Sunderland from St Mirren. So maybe, you know, St Mirren were looking at the success that, you know, Jack had had coming from Aloua to St Mirren and maybe looked at myself thinking I could do something similar. Obviously having a, a connection with the club prior to that certainly helped um, because there was a lot of good experienced managers um, who you know, you could argue were more qualified than I was to step into that role in the Premier League with St Mirren. But I think because of the relationship I had with the board of directors, I still you know, knew a couple of those guys on a personal level. Um, you know, knew Gus McPherson who was there as a kind of a director of football capacity. And, um, you know, the interview process went well and they offered me the job and that was it. And yeah, I mean, going back into the stadium as manager, having been there for five and a half years as player, you know, knowing all the backroom team, you know, St Mirren's relatively small in terms of the resources that it has available to them. And there's, you know, maybe only seven or eight full-time staff that are at the stadium on a regular basis through the week. And those guys have been there for, you know, decades, some of them, and um, so I knew them, you know, inside out, but going back in, as you say, with uh,
0: a position of
1: authority, if you like, um, yeah, I think it took a little bit of getting used to on my part and possibly on theirs as well.
0: Zipping back to that success in 2013, I know we've got at least two St Mirren fans in tonight, so. And um, I, I guess um, an, an emotional triumph for yourself and, and the family, a lot of hard work goes goes into that. And what made that team so special? It was a a very, very rare thing for St Mirren to, to win a major trophy.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, I think it was 25, 26 years before, um, since the last, you know, the, the Scottish Cup win they had. I think it's the, the first time that they've ever actually won that particular cup competition. Um, But, you know, I loved my time at St Mirren, you know, it was the longest that I'd ever stayed at any club for one uh, time, five and a half years. Uh, The longest I'd done prior to that was about three years at Stockport. I'd done three at Scunthorpe as well. Um, You know, a little over a couple at Huddersfield, but I loved everything about St Mirren, you know, just logistically for me, where I lived. My wife's uh, from Kirk and Tillock, you know, we'd moved back up the road. to be close to the schools that my wife wanted the kids to go to. Uh, the St Martin training ground was 25 minutes from the house. They, had a, they have a great set up there, you know, relatively new stadium, uh, got their own training ground, two really good grass pitches, just a lot to like about it. And um, yeah, I, I loved every minute of being a player there. And uh, that success that we had in 2013 still, you know, goes down as my most memorable time as a player. And as I said to you, been very lucky in all of the, you know, the journey that I've been on from leaving Ireland at 15 to playing right through till I was 34. Um, I think at the age at which I'd done that, uh, I think I was about 31, 32. Um, you know, that late in my career, I never envisaged anything like that happening again. So to go on that cup run was very special uh, with a really incredible group of players as well. You know. Good characters. I think Danny Lennon deserves a huge amount of credit for building the squad that he built. We had some really good young players, um, and our route to the final was probably as difficult as you you could imagine. Really, um, you know, had to go to Pitodry in the quarter final, had to beat Celtic at Hamden in the semi final, and then had to had to beat Hearts to go and win it. So um, it couldn't have been much tougher, to be honest with you. But you know, great credit to the group and to Danny and the rest of the backroom team. We were able to put our uh, names down in history uh, and in St. and folklore?
0: It's very easy to say in hindsight, but you look at someone like John McGinn in that squad uh, um, after Stephen Thompson tried to javelin him to death um, that one time did you always know he was destined for, for great things or was that a, a, a surprise to you Kenny McLean as well another one in that squad
1: yeah I mean we we had uh, you know two or three really good uh, quality young players coming through the academy you know, the John McGinn one is um, you know it's it's, uh, it's probably one I think that all the guys that were there at the time would never have seen John going on to have the career that he's had he wasn't You know, Kenny McLean was a little bit different. You know, Kenny had a real kind of graceful presence about him, the way that he carried himself on the pitch, technically really, really good. What you see with John McGinn there was, you know, what you see when he was 17, 18, breaking into our first team, very uh, 100 mile an hour hustle and bustle, you know, probably not the most easy on the eye in terms of his running style and everything, but he's took his game to a different level with every club that he has went to. And, um, you know, I'm led to believe that John, you know it was a 50-50 whether John was going to get kept on or not as he was coming through the academy and I think uh, you know Tommy Craig who was our assistant manager and Danny Lennon saw something in him um, that they felt warranted giving him another another year and uh, John just kicked on thereafter into the first team became a you know hugely influential player for St Mirren uh, obviously got his move to Hibs um, worked on all aspects of his game uh, physically started to develop a bit more as well i think took a little bit more of a, a keen interest in the strength and condition and the sports science stuff as he got a bit older and a bit more mature and now you know arguably scotland's most important player and you know captaining aston villa in the english premier league who are sitting third i think in the table right now at this moment in time so you know, couldn't be any more pleased for John. Um, still keep in touch with him, uh, you know, briefly through WhatsApp, just to congratulate him on all the the special moments that he's had. Um, you know, he used to get back to me a lot sooner than what he does now. So uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that's because he's getting a little bit big time, but um, yeah, I, I, but he, he's been brilliant, and he's from a real footballing family. You know, you look at the career that his brother Stephen had, and um, and obviously Paul McGinn. Still playing for Motherwell in the Premier League. So, um, you know, delighted for John with the career he's had. Delighted for Scotland as well. I think it's a really exciting time for the national team as well. Steve Clark has done an incredible job and, um, you know, he's just got a. You know, we talk about characters and as a manager, you're desperate to try and build that team spirit and that togetherness. And it looks as if Steve has worked wonders with that particular group. and, we were excited in my house, certainly my boy, when we saw the group coming through for um, for the Euros in the summer, because it's certainly one that Scotland should be looking at, um, no fear, and one that they can definitely
0: progress in, I've got no doubt about that. You've alluded a couple of times to coming over from Ireland at the age of just kind of 15, I mean, from just outside of Waterford, and sorry, rural areas just outside of Waterford, I think you were saying, prior to coming on stage. I mean, how much of a culture shock and also as a, you know, as a footballing experience, was it to come over from Ireland to, to Celtic and, and Glasgow more generally?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm from a town called uh, Tramore, which um, is just outside County Waterford, um, it's about seven miles from the city, so very much, uh, you know, kind of a, a country boy, if you like. The town has expanded now in the last 25 years since I last left, but, um, you know, I, I could maybe liken it to a Broughty Ferry or something like that, you know, right on the beach. Uh, Very lucky again, just I had a great childhood. It was a a beautiful part of Ireland to grow up in. Um, Very sporting family, played Gaelic football, hurling, a little bit of rugby in secondary school, but you know, football was always my real passion. Um, That along with maybe golf. I had a golf club about five minute walk from the house. That's where the the summers were spent. But um, yeah, I mean, look, football was always my dream. You know, and I remember years and years ago, you know, being in the car and traveling with my mother and father and the usual conversation about what you want to be when you're older. And I think I was about nine or ten at the time. And I said, I want to be a footballer. And my mother said, no, I know, but what do you really want to be? You know, what's, what real job do you want? And I was adamant that's what I wanted to do. And uh, as I said, you know, very lucky to, to have finally been given the opportunity at 15. I played in a, an All-Ireland competition representing the county against Dublin and Cork and Limerick and all the other counties um, in an All Ireland tournament and um, managed to get a few offers from the likes of Leeds and Newcastle and Celtic being one of them. And um, yeah, just took up the opportunity to go on trial at Celtic, came over a couple of times during the holidays, got an offer and and that was it really. Um, Now being a parent and having three kids of my own, uh, my eldest is 16, my other daughter is 15, the thought of uh, you know the roles being reversed and me sending them to Ireland at this age, i just couldn 't imagine uh, that happening right now, um, but I had to you know have arguments with my mother in particular. Uh, my dad was you know really supportive and felt that it was too big an opportunity to turn down. Uh, my mother was a little bit more reluctant, but you know finally managed to get my own way and um and make that big step, and, as I said, coming from a small town like Tremor to then you know a, a huge city uh, like Glasgow, it was you know a real culture shock initially, but couldn 't have got looked after any any better than what I did at, at Celtic and it was a great grounding for me spent um, you know best part of five years there learning my trade and um yeah, it gave me a, a good start in in what went on to be you know quite a decent, lengthy career.
0: You also, and shamefully, I only noticed this when I was uh, doing a bit of reading ahead of this event, but won the under-16 European Championships with uh, Ireland. A a not inconsequential uh, achievement at all. I beat Italy in the final, Spain, I think, finished third. Bizarrely, the final was held at McDermott Park um, back in, in 1998. I mean, what, what do you recall about that? John O'Shea was a, a teammate as well. I mean, it must have been a, a hell of an experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were um, we were staying in the, the Creve Hydro. I remember it like it was yesterday, but it was, you know, 25, 26 years ago. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just an, an incredible time for, for Ireland. Obviously, you know, similar-sized nation to Scotland, um, not used to going far in those types of tournaments qualifying alone was you know was a, an achievement and um, we had Brian Kerr as manager who was also doing a dual role in managing the under18s and you know laterally went on to manage the, the national team off the achievement that he had with both of those teams but um, you know we were very much kind of there we felt to kind of make up the numbers and and have a, a good few weeks in Scotland together as 15 16 year old lads and you know we we wrecked that hotel at times. you know. And, uh, in terms of professionalism, I think we were probably the least professional team in the competition. We were um, allowed to stay up till all hours. Brian Kerr was very relaxed. His assistant, Noel Riley, uh, used to play the guitar. We would be down in the bar while they were all getting on us, and we'd be having a big sing-song, and we'd have a game the following morning, and we'd just managed to win games of football. We'd be... Uh, some really big teams along the way. We'd never conceded a goal up until the final against Italy. Uh, Myself and John O'Shea were center half pairing at the time. John was actually uh, geared up to come to Celtic with me as well, Um, but uh, Sir Alex Ferguson turned up at his door in Waterford, would you believe, uh, out of the blue, which is an incredible story, Um, turned up at his door out of the blue, his father nearly had a heart attack when he opened the door to see Sir Alex at the door, but he convinced John not to go to Celtic to come to Manchester United instead. And um, between myself and John, we've got about a hundred and five caps for Ireland,
0: <laughs> and I've got one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: one's one's not terrible.
0: Was it an appearance against Denmark? Is that right?
1: Uh, it was Finland actually. Oh, uh, Scandinavia was close, not bad. But um, but yeah, I mean that was. Uh, I, I got on for the last 15 minutes in a in a game, but again, look a very proud moment. As I said, as, as a young fella, you know you dream of playing for your country. Um, played all through the age groups from under 16s right up until 21s. Uh, Mick McCarthy was a manager at the time over in Finland. It was a friendly, and uh, threw me on for the last 15 minutes, and you know, forever grateful to Mick for giving me that opportunity. And that one senior cap that I have takes pride in place in um, my home back in Ireland with my mother uh,
0: in the in the cabinet. One appearance for Celtic back in May 2000, weirdly enough, coming against Dundee United. Uh, you were charged with shackling okay. Alex Mathey, Stephen McCornilogue, and Jim Hamilton. That was the Dundee United uh, kind of frontline that day. What do you recall about you getting that experience? Because it was a, a much changed kind of uh, <laughs> stage uh, Celtic's transition, I think, from yeah, the fairly poor side. But I mean, it must have still been a, a hell of an experience to get that first start, having worked so hard to get to that point.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think, um, listen, there's no argument that Celtic were going through a huge transition period. Um, Rangers had already won the league. It was coming up to the last game of the season against Dundee United. Um, Henrik Larsson uh, was just making his comeback from that serious leg fracture that he had. And uh, I have to be honest, um, you know, Kenny Dalglish was caretaker manager. Tommy Burns was the assistant, and I had a great relationship with Tommy. And um, you know, I, I, I they were given debuts away at that point, like packets of crisps and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how much I merited it on my ability, but at the same time, when I got the call uh, that I was going to be playing, you know, it was one of the proudest moments, obviously, of my um, of my career. Coming from where I come from, down the southeast of Ireland, you know, everybody follows Celtic. Everybody's got an English team, um, Liverpool or my English team, but everybody's other team is Glasgow Celtic. So for me to make the commitment to go to Glasgow at 15. Um, it was justified then by that particular moment being able to go out there and play at Parkhead, like so many young Irish kids have dreamt of. Um, Tommy Burns told me on the Thursday that you know maybe I should uh, tell my father what was happening, that there was a good chance I was going to play. So having him in the stadium for that as well was you know quite an emotional moment for the family. And as I said, you know vindicated the decision that my parents had made by allowing me to. Make that big step to come across the water, and um, yeah, I mean, look, it was my one and only time of playing for the first team because Celtic then that summer brought in Martin O'Neill, um, <coughs> had huge financial investment in the, in the team, and uh,
0: I eventually found my way back playing for the reserves for the next couple of seasons. I mean, those. Obviously too many games in English football to go through all your achievements down there more than 200 games south of the border having obviously made the decision that had to leave Celtic for first team football and and your own development but I want to touch on the the promotion with Scunthorpe because maybe not an achievement that a lot of people recall uh, north of the border but when you look at the teams you were in League One with to get promoted from that division with a a side of Scunthorpe's resources must have been a Uh, a pretty special side.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that is, um, that's one memory that I really do look back on fondly. And as a manager now, I take a lot of experience from that particular time as well in terms of um, what Brian Laws had done as manager initially with limited resources. I think stood me in really good stead for those first two jobs that I had with Aloha and St Mirren. Um, And in terms of the recruitment of, you know, we spoke about strength of character at the beginning of the conversation. We didn't have the the best team in the league by any stretch of the imagination. We were competing with teams like Leeds United, Southampton were in the league at the time, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, I think, were in the league, Huddersfield Town, you know, teams that probably had six or seven times the budget of what Scunthorpe had, um, but Brian Laws was able to Put a really good group of characters together. We did have some very special players within the ranks. With a guy called Joe Murphy in goal, um, a fellow Irishman who was by far the best keeper in the in the league. Actually went on to play Premier League with West Brom and Sunderland. And we had another guy up front called Billy Sharp, who um, you know was playing in the the Premier League for Sheffield United a couple of seasons ago. Um, now over in America, just finishing off his career, but. Those two, Joe keeping it out at one end, Billy banging in the goals at the other end and then, you know, guys like myself with limited ability just running about, doing the ugly side of the game, we managed to go and win the league and it was, it really was an incredible achievement and um, as I said, I take some great experience away from working with Brian Laws initially, he then went to move on to Sheffield Wednesday and around about the October-November time and then Nigel Adkins uh, came in as caretaker manager initially who was... Our physio at the time, and um nigel 's first game in particular um I had a bit of a dodgy ankle at the time, and Nigel was our physio, as I said, in you know that season, and then all of a sudden became manager um, He was doing my strapping on my ankle prior to doing his team talk in his first game as we went out, so yeah, I mean,
0: was it a full suit
1: full suit doing my uh, doing my strapping on my ankle so um Brian Law's really good attention to detail, Nigel Atkins, brilliant man-manager, and between the two of them, they managed to get us promoted, um, and not only promoted, you know, to win the league, which was, uh, as I said, given some of the clubs that I mentioned, an incredible achievement for a a small provincial club like Scunthorpe.
0: Ultimately, you would obviously come back up the road and and just finally, before moving on to the the Q&A, looking ahead slightly, in terms of your aspirations, both personally and perhaps more relevantly to those in the room for for Dundee United, how do you look at those at the moment, Jim?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the you know the main objective this season is to get the club promoted and back into the Premier League, where a club like Dundee United belongs. Um, you know, as I said earlier, given the infrastructure, um, you know, given the the fan base that this club has got, you know, we shouldn't be in this situation. And um, you know, last season was extremely disappointing. There's been a hell of a lot of hard work, as I touched on earlier, going on behind the scenes to put us in a sounder footing that we think will put us in a better place to to make the kind of strides that we need to make. I think we've made a lot of progress. I think we're, you know, we're not looking for pats on the back for what we've achieved up to now because I think we're only doing what people would expect us to be doing. You know, we are the biggest club in the league. I think we've, you know, definitely got the the strongest budget, you know, financially. And I think we've built the strongest squad at the moment. Now don't get me wrong, Ian Murray and one or two others might have an argument to make about that, but I have got great confidence and great belief in the group that we've put together. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no reason why we can't go and achieve that. Um, that's the short term or short to mid term objective. You know, the following season, hopefully, off the back of promotion is then to do it all again. And to, you know, rebuild the squad again. Um, you know, that recruitment's gonna be really, really important to make sure that we don't find ourselves in a position that we found ourselves in last season.
0: Super. Well, I'm going to throw over to the dashing man in the waistcoat uh, with the microphone. And I think it's just a case of throwing hands in the air if you've got a question, is that right, Sean?
2: Evening. Dashing. Dashing, you're too kind.
0: <laughs> well, you you are my boss, so Yeah, well,
2: you, you know where your bread's buttered Right. Somebody's got their hand up over there.
0: Jim, as you said, you were a rather robust player, uh, very competitive. Uh, what is the key characteristics you're looking for the team at the moment to drive us through the championship and get out of this horrible league? Because it's a very, very difficult league to get out of.
1: Well, hopefully you'll have seen um, you know, in the last few months the, the type of characteristics that we're looking for with the recruitment that we've done. You know, uh, I think we've signed some very good players with ability, but also players who... Know the league, Um, players who have played in the league for a number of years and been the best, I think, in their positions. The likes of Kevin Holt, I think, has been the best centre-half in the championship for a number of years and has got the ability to step up into the Premier League, just hasn't quite been given the opportunity yet. Uh, Ross Docherty, arguably the best central midfielder in the league last season. Um, It's been a little bit stop-start for Doc at the moment with ourselves, with little niggles. But um, it's about trying to get the balance right. You know, I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And I'm trying to, you know, we have regular conversations with the academy as well in terms of players that we recruit, um, making sure that they do have those strong characteristics from a a mental perspective. Technically, yes, they've got to be good footballers. um, But, you know, to play for a, a club of the size of Dundee United, You need to have strong personalities and you need to be able to handle the level of expectation that's put on you, you know, from you guys, the supporters. You know, we expect to be top of the league. You guys expect us to be up there winning the league and hopefully winning the league comfortably, albeit we know it's not going to be easy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, winning mentality, never say die attitude, all of those buzzwords that people talk about is something that we... um, we look for before signing a player. i um, will always go and meet them in person, and I have, you know, met a couple of players during my time. Um, not for Dundee United, I have to say, but at St Mirren, I met a couple of players who I really liked and felt that they had the necessary technical qualities that were going to make us a better team. But I came away from the, you know, the the introduction that I had with them, not having a good feel for them as people, um, and you know, went back on um, not signing him, basically. So, yeah, I think strong character, strong personalities, and um, that's the difficulty of trying to build a squad, is trying to get all the the different personalities, because people come from different backgrounds, and it's trying to get, you know, them all to fit in and gel together to fit into the culture that we're trying to develop. Hi, Jim. Uh, Thanks very much for the job you've done. Uh, I would like to say that, from my
2: experience, is defenders develop at a different rate. And my cousin Peter Godfrey, Captain St. Mirren, he only joined senior ranks at the age of 27. So maybe if he had joined at five, he might have been a better player. Um, my my question, though, Jim, is uh, who's in charge of uh, contract extensions? And having met you briefly uh, before the start of the meeting, I mentioned uh, Holt. And uh, somebody might pinch him in January if we don't sign. And Lewis and Peter Godfrey, Captain St. Mirren, we only joined senior ranks at the age of 27. So maybe if he had joined at five, he might have been a better player. <laughs> um, my my question though, Jim, is uh, who's in charge of uh, contract extensions? And having met you briefly uh, before the start of the meeting, I mentioned uh, uh, Holt and uh, somebody might pinch him in January if we don't sign. And Lewis Nielsen as well, we seem to muck that one up. So I was wondering who in fact is in charge of looking to make sure that contracts are being extended for the right people.
1: Yeah, well, at every, uh, at every club I've managed up to now, um, I've always ensured that I've had the, the final say on comings and goings. Um, for players, I think it's important. I know the game has changed a lot and you get um, a lot of clubs now employing guys in the head coach role and then you've got the technical director or the director of football who makes the decisions on contracts. But, um, you know, that's something that I'm uh, always willing to try and keep uh, control of because ultimately they've got to play in my team and they've got to suit the way that I want the team to play. And, um, you know, any contract negotiations that, you know, whether it's to extend the players who are here or to bring new players in and add to the squad, will be done on a a, a basis um, and, you know, of a, on a conversation with chief executive, obviously, with the owner, because financially it's got to work for the club. But
0: um, ultimately, the final decision will be mine. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just about 8 o'clock, so it's uh, down to me just to encourage you all to give a warm round of applause to Jim Goodwin and thank us for joining us.
1: If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it, or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All
2: that really helps people find two teams, one street, and that means a lot to us.
0: Don't forget to pick up your copy of The Tele Monday to Saturday for all the latest from Dens and Tanadice, or go to thetilly.co.uk to find out how you
1: can get the paper delivered right to your door.